good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. We're coming to you from the offices of the Coming Home Network in Ohio. And uh, thank you for joining us again on this Deep in Scripture episode. The flavor of Deep in Scripture right now during this season is we're focusing on memorable verses. And so I invite guests to join me to talk about verses that have been very important in their lives and even to the point where it's because of the memorization and the knowing and the having of those verses, if you will, as a, a regular arrow in their quiver that has strengthened them and guided them in their life. And that's been true for me. And, and I thought, boy, this would be fun to invite guests to join me to talk about that. And we're, we do these interviews in kind of a unique way. My guest comes equipped with a scripture that I don't know what they've brought. And I have one that they don't know what I've brought to the table. And after I share my scripture and they square, they share their scripture, then in the end we put the two scriptures together and then see how serendipitously they fit together in encouraging us in our walk. So my guest today is Sonia Corbett. Hello, Sonia. Are you there? Hi there, Marcus. Hi, Thank Sonia. you for having me. It's a wonderful uh, I'm here. Pleasure to have you here. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it would be better, of course, if you were sitting across from me like we did a number of years ago at the Journey Home Desk. But um, uh, it's great to have you here. And before we start with the program, please bring us up to date. Let my audience know more about you and what you're doing and, and maybe what why it makes sense for you to be sitting across the table with me talking about memorable verses. Well, it's been a whirlwind, I'll tell you, since I uh, was with you last. I have had several books come out. My latest two, um, the last one to come out, is out this week. It's called How to Pray Like Mary. And we love the word the way Mary loves the word. L yep. is listen, O is observe, V is verbalize, and E is entrust. <laughs> and we go through the Annunciation with her, and we see how she prayed. And then my next one is out in October. It's called Exalted. It's also a Marian book. It's about the Magnificat line of line. So I've got those wow. two books coming out. And then I recently joined the Laudate app family. And uh, Catholic TV ha has offered me a show. So we just filmed that. And that's going to air begin airing in September. And then I have uh, my ongoing weekly podcasts. And uh, right now we're doing the I Am Statements of Jesus. We're two weeks in. So I've been really busy too. Wow. You've got, you certainly got some of the energy I used to have. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm called the Bible study evangelista. <laughs> well, then that makes sense that I should at least invite you here to join us on the program. Uh, and, you know, I'll tell you, Sonia, first, it's a great pleasure for you and I to just sit and open the word. Uh, I don't uh, intend that our audience expect that our discussion is a high academic uh, exegetical exercise. There are plenty of those on, on uh, the internet, and I, I'm guessing That's right. I know some of your own studies are probably more in that line. You, what I'm talking about is how deeply Scripture has meant in our lives. And yes. I was thinking of what verse in Scripture alone, this isn't my secret verse for today, but a verse that seems to emphasize this program as well as what you're doing is... Psalm 119, 105, which you and I know like the back of our hands. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
And mm-hmm. when you think about it, the Word of God is indeed that lamp and light, but it can't help in that way if it's merely in that Bible sitting over there holding down the coffee table or a, or in the liturgy of hours sitting up there on the shelf. It needs to be a part of us, a part of our thinking, so it's always there that the Holy Spirit can use to shape our lives. And I'm guessing, if I remember a little bit about your journey, that it was because of your love for Scripture that the Holy Spirit even opened your heart to the Catholic Church. Exactly. So here we'll, here we'll jump into this. And again, thank you all for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. Sonia, my Scripture that I want to, I've been thinking about this ever since I heard you were going to be on the program. And um, the, But the verse that kept jumping out me, for me is one that's actually a favorite from both my wife, Marilyn, and I. And I found out later, after she and I had met and dated for years and then got married, and all of a sudden she became something she never, ever wanted to be, and that was a pastor's wife. But yet <laughs> she admitted that when she grew up, there was a plaque in her kitchen that her mother had on the wall that my wife had always memorized this verse, knew it, and I had too. And it was as if together this verse helped bring us together. And this verse comes from Psalm 37, verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And both my wife and I said, yeah, yeah, that's why we're together. Amen. And let me talk, talk a little bit about why this verse is so significant to me and uh, maybe even how I've used it. And then, then Sonia, I'll throw it over to you and, and get some of your thoughts. I, To me, what this verse has always said, and I'll look at the context later, but the verse has always emphasized where our focus should be trusting that God will bring the other things in line with what's best for us. The danger is that we can get focused on the desires of our heart and what we want or need, think we need, out of life. And when we focus too much on those, it's a bit like that old saying about a, a, a watch pot never boils. When we focus mm-hmm. on the desires, we can find ourselves caught up in anxiety about them not happening at the speed we want them. And so the psalmist says that's not to be your focus. And your focus is not just to be the Lord, which of course it is, but the encouragement is to take delight in the Lord. And if you will, that's a that's a command. Uh, that's a challenge for us to have an attitude, to have a focus, to do something, to, to focus our delight in the Lord. And so it cuts through all the other voices that try and get us to get distracted on not only the things we want out of life, but on what other people are having and maybe we think we should have. That tempter draws us out there. But this psalmist cuts us through to focus our delight on the Lord. And then there's two layers of the second part of this verse that I know you'll talk about too. And that is not only 
does he promise to give us those desires of our heart? But if you will, he changes the desires of our heart to be in line with him, such that the actual desires that we grow to want when our focus is on delighting in him, those desires become what he wills and what he wants for us. Now your thoughts, Sonia. I, too, absolutely love this verse. And I found that it was, God almost used it with me like a carrot stick (laughs) (laughs) because he gave me a desire in my real early 20s when I first began to really start to try to follow him. And, of course, my verse will kind of fit into this, too. You'll see. But um, it's interesting because I had he. I felt like he gave me that desire. He gave me that desire and I wanted it so badly. I could not believe that he might want it for me. And so he, he began quickly then trying to teach me how to delight myself in him. And for me, you know, I thought that meant, I thought that meant a lot of things that it didn't, (laughs) but I did find over the next 25 years that he did give me that desire. And not only did he instill that desire in me, but he fulfilled it too. And I think, for me, that's what that verse means, that he gives you the desires, he puts them in you, and then he, because you you desire it so deeply, and because he desires it for you, you're willing to learn how to delight yourself in him, and allow him to delight in you, so that he can lead you to the fulfillment of the desire. Boy, Sonia, um, I mean, in, just think about the, the ways in which not only does, does this verse... Um, lend itself for an important scripture for our audience to memorize and know, but why as parents it encourages us to make sure our children know this verse very early. Because as you were saying, we want their hearts to be filled with the right desires from an early age. And so that as their whole life is before them, if they're delighting in the Lord— then the Lord, the promise is that the Lord will put guide their hearts in the right direction. And when they get to teen years and other years when all those other distractions come, then our prayer as parents is that that seed planted will keep them on track. You know, like my wife said, she could she doesn't rem, she didn't remember actually taking time to memorize that this verse. But that plaque on the kitchen wall planted in her mind so that later when she went through rough times in college, this is the verse that came back and brought her back in line. I think that's a good point because in our day and time, sometimes we get so cynical about, you know, are we really going to be able to bring up our children in a godly way so that they pursue God their whole lives? And and it's hard to look around us and think that that's possible, but here's a promise. Yeah. He will give us the desires of our hearts if we're delighting in him. And of course, as parents, that is our desire for our children. So, you know, I do, I stand on this a lot. You know, I have a friend who's, he's about my age. Uh, they had four kids. And unfortunately, all four kids are not only outside the church, but I think two of them aren't even practicing the faith at all anymore. None, none of them are active in their Christian walk at all, but two of them aren't practicing at all. And 
He doesn't talk a lot about what happened or why, but the one time he did tell me why was because back a long time ago when the church was going through a lot of problems and he himself was having a problem at the local level that he and his wife far too often used the kitchen table to complain, review, berate people in the church. Um, and he, they just, it, he said it, it, it didn't cross his mind that the kids were listening. Mm. But later, it seemed to be the poison that was there. So, in other words, if you will, and I'm not getting down on my friend because I'm far from a perfect father or husband, but if you will, they were unintentionally drawing their children away from delighting in the Lord, if you will. They were focusing their children on the problems of the church, the problem, if you will, of God and how God is what's going on in the church. And so the kids weren't involved with the conversation. They were just hearing. And so, if you will, the desires of their life went in a completely different direction. And now they're they're gone, if you will. And, and how do we get them back? And now it's harder to try and get them back. And so here we see the Scripture saying, how, what is the in, what do we communicate to our children and our family about our delight in God and His church? What do they hear from us? What do they see from us? And my guess is, Sonia, that you talk about that on your program a bit. <laughs> well, I do only because I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There is nothing else, you know. Everything, everything comes from that fountain. So all of, know. you know, everything in in your life. If if you really are delighting in the Lord and you've learned and He's taught you how, I mean, everything you see everything through that lens, and it makes life, it makes life beautiful. Yeah, yeah. The first verse, in fact, I shared on this particular segment of the deep in Scripture was. My life verse, if you will, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. I mean, that's been the verse of my life. And again, that mm -hmm. connects here. Now, what I'd like to do for a little more on this verse before I turn it over to you, Sonia, is I want to expand the context because this verse, if you will, is taken out of a context. But I want to read Psalm, thir or, yeah, Psalm 37, 1 through 7, Sonia, and, and I think in a way this truly touches on the problem that is going on today and why I think there's a growing population of what are called nuns, not religious sisters, but people who have no affiliation, no faith, and the one thing they don't do is delight in the Lord. In verse 1, it's, the psalmist says, Fret not yourself because of the wicked. Be not anxious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will dwell in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your vindication as the light and your right as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over him who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil desires." I can't help but think that the psalmist was addressing a real situation in in the fact that there were people being tempted away, drawn away by the seemingly successful, 
looking and seeing people whose lives seem to be full of happiness and things and prosperity, all the things that were pulling their hearts and saying, you know, maybe that's the way to go. And so don't fret yourself because it seems, why are they succeeding and I'm not? You know, why do they seem to be successful and I'm not? And he's not only telling them the end result of those folk, but the emphasis again is focus on God. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Take delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him with the promise, as you've emphasized. He'll give us the desires of our heart. He will act. Uh, He will bring forth your vindication as a light and your right as the noonday. And as you said, Tanya, yeah, this is it. I mean, all this stuff connects with all the scriptures that are important to us. Amen. All right. So now let's hear your verse, Sonia. I'm curious to see whether it (laughs) connects with mine at all. It actually does. You didn't read uh, verse 8, but it it comes right from that. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. My verse is actually Psalm 4-4. Okay. And this is... um, this is one this is one of the very first early confrontations I'll say it was gentle but it was still a confrontation that God um, had for me after he gave me this desire of my heart yep. and he was he said about trying to make me worthy of being able to reach it so it says be angry and sin not meditate within your heart on your bed and be still mm-hmm. offer the right sacrifices of righteousness, I'm sorry, offer the sacrifice of righteousness righteousness, and put your trust in the Lord. And what I ended up doing, well, first of all, the very first thing um, that God did with me is he began to confront my anger. I had a problem with, and I don't even want to say anger, it was really rage. I, I, um, I actually had a blackout rage at the end of the, 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 well, that was the point that really got me aware of how serious my problem with anger and rage was, wow. was when I had that episode of blackout rage. And, and he, he told me um, through Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a, a fool uh. repeats his folly. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I told him, I said, Lord, I can't help it. You know, you can't, you can't stop yourself from vomiting, you know, but the very next verse he led me to was this one. Be angry and sin not. And and what I ended up getting from this is an acrostic, S-T-O-P, so stop. <laughs> sin not, tell God, offer the right sacrifice, and put your trust in God, S-T-O-P. So what he said was, stop the vomit. And I just, I remember talking to him and I, I just said, I, I don't know even where it comes from. I can't stop it. And he said, no, you can. <laughs> be angry and sin not. And I thought, really, is that even possible? You know, and he said, yes, it's possible. And here's how. Sin not, tell God, tell me what's going on. Don't gossip. Don't go to the phone. Don't rage at people. Come to me and let's talk about it. And then, you know, later on throughout the years, he showed me scriptural examples of where he had, he did this with people. Almost every single time someone was angry in the scriptures, God went to them. Cain, Saul, Jonah, Paul, he he goes to his people and he says, why are you angry? Is it right for you to be angry? 
what are you doing here? You know, he's constantly trying to dialogue with us so that we can get it out because he knows that if we don't get it out, it will destroy us. And and so what I did was, you know, when, when I read this, be angry and sin not, I thought, well, okay, then I just can't be angry, right? <laughs> Which, you know, that's out of balance too. John, uh, St. Yeah. John Chrysostom says that for he who is not angry when he has cause to be, he sins because excessive patience is the hotbed of many vices and it causes even the good man to sin. So it's not my anger. It's not our anger necessarily that causes us to sin, but it's how we act out of it. And so I went from being aggressively angry to passively angry, but that's just as destructive because that causes depression. So we have to tell God about it. We have to talk to him. And then once we do, he, he'll tell us what the right thing to do is, offer the right sacrifice. What is the right sacrifice? Well, I don't know. I have to talk to God about it to find out because a lot of times what I think is the right thing is not. It's I'm motivated by my own thoughts and, and wishes and desires. And then put your trust in God. A lot of times while I was learning charity, you know, I would go to him and I was I was angry and and I would talk to him about it. And he would just say, you know what, you just really need to grow up. You need to quit being so sensitive and grow up. And then a couple of times, you know, I said, I just don't think, Lord, I'm going to be able to get over it without saying something. And he said, well, then fine. Then let's, you know, let's work on that together. Don't go in anger, but go ahead and say something, you know. And and in those times that, that I wasn't allowed to say anything, I had to put my trust in him and say, all right, then I need you to handle it. And he would. I mean, there were times that I was angry at my husband and, and, you know, I, I said to God, I, you know, I need you to, to do something. And, and he did, you know, and my husband may, maybe he came to apologize. Maybe, you know, we just worked it out. I don't, I don't know, but, but that, that acrostic works for any sin. It's not just anger, although here it is, but you sin not, you tell God, you offer the right sacrifice and you put your trust in God. And I have used this in my life since the day he gave it to me and I use it today. Oh, that's awesome, Sonia. You know, um, Recently, I read a familiar quote from Augustine. I, I wish I had it in front of me to quote, but he, he basically says something like, the three most important things in, this, in the way of God is humility, humility, humility. <laughs> Amen. And, you know, <clears throat> that kind of parallels the old real estate, uh, you know, the mantra of the most important thing is selling a house is location, location, location. But I was thinking about that humility, humility, humility. It's it's not so much maybe that Augustine was merely repeating humility three times to emphasize it, but that he's talking about the, the journey in humility, such that, you know, our Lord says, he who exalts himself will be humiliated and those who humbles himself will be exalted. That we begin by recognizing a, a deep problem like anger, um, by becoming humiliated by it, um, yes, and it's not, and we're not willing that humility. We're not even actively a part of that humiliation. We're God's just letting us be fully humiliated by our outbursts, and then by grace, yes. the second step is we experience more humiliation from our outbreak, but we're realizing it. We're becoming aware of it. We're becoming affected by it to the point where in the end, the third humility is our active willing of that humility. 
We're choosing humility, kind of like Paul says in 1 Corinthians when he's complaining about the Christians us going in lawsuits with one another. He says, isn't it rather better just to be wronged mm-hmm. <laughs> than to sue each yeah. other? So that's it's accepting humility. It's it, it, So if you, you feel you've got a right to be angry, I've got a right to get back, I've got a right to retaliate, Paul is saying, isn't it better just to be wronged? To accept that. And that's that third step of humility, which seems to me is a way of dealing with the source of that anger. Yes, and that's exactly what he led me to because that third step of humility came for me when I, when, when God stuck his finger in the woundedness that was underneath all that anger. Wow. And when he started to do that, that was, that was even harder yeah. because... You know, you go back to some of that stuff and, and you're like, wow, I had no idea that, that that was controlling my behavior and my perspective and everything. And when he starts to deal on that level, it's, it is humiliating all over again because you realize you, you kind of have to work through that pain. And well, not you kind of, you do. You have to go back and work through it. And once you do, he begins pulling it out by the root. It's not like you have, you have to keep going back and back and back. But if you walk with him at every step, which is why this this STOP acronym is so good, if you walk with him at every step, you know, I, I noticed that he would allow me to be provoked <laughs> just so he could point out the root of it. So he could say, look, don't you remember when you felt like this before? And do you remember how that felt? And this is why you're angry. And it's the, it's that father wound again, you know? And so it was, it was the most, it was the most painful, but the most glorious journey of my life is following God through that woundedness and out of that anger. Well, I'll tell you what, Sonia, I know that that scripture you chose is an important one to memorize. And the reason I know that is because St. Paul memorized it, right? St. Paul knew (laughs) it. Because when St. Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, when he is ex- he's telling the Ephesians, okay, you're baptized, you're new, you're a part of the church. Then in verse 4 and 5 and 6, he's okay, you're baptized, this is how you should live, therefore. And he says, beginning in chapter 4, verse 25, therefore, put away all falsehood, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, but do not sin. He's quoting your verse. Mm-hmm. And he says, but he expands. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. I mean, that talks about the urgency of dealing with this anger, right, son? Yes. That's what's so good about that, about Psalm 4-4, because it says, meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. So it's not that you just overlook it. It's that you go to God with it so that you do deal with it right away. Because even if you don't deal with the particular person through whom it came, you still deal with it when you go to God. And so he's able to diffuse the eruption, the emotion of it long enough to get you rational. And that's what I needed. I just needed that separation between the eruption of the emotion and the overwhelming emotion of it. Just some separation between that and what to do. And that's what was so good about this verse because that acronym is so helpful. I'm just, I'm not going to sin. Yes, Lord, we've talked about it. I'm going to wait on you to tell me what the right thing to do is. And then I'm going to trust you with that, whatever it is, whether it's to say something or not, I'm going to trust you with it. 
and and so you deal with it even if you don't go to that particular person you've still dealt with it before the sun went down i i can can't tell you how many times that in my own life when i am offended by something and i'm angry and it's festering i'm an only child so i'm used to think just festering <laughs> by myself you know I mean, i'm just used to that um and and if i give it time i always almost always recognize that the biggest problem is not the problem in the other person it's in me that's right 99 that's out of exactly 100 times, right it's in me yes and how i respond to people and the bottom line is i can't change others it's me and usually it's how i respond and well, that's what i noticed yeah, what I noticed as I was following God through this process is that he would deliberately allow me to be provoked just so he could point <laughs> out that that fault in me. <laughs> and you're talking about humility, right? So he would he would point out that fault. I would point my finger at someone else and we would talk about it and he would say, "Now, well, now look." You know, and and he would point it out at me and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, Lord." You know, <laughs> and I got to the point where I was like, all right. I know this is me. I can, I mean, I could just really see it. And even now when I'm offended, that's the first thing I do. I go, okay, you know, why am I here? How am I projecting here? Cause I know I probably am. Hey, so I know this has never happened to you, but one time years ago when I was a pastor, I was driving my car and I came up to a stoplight and the person next to me cut in and almost drove me into the oncoming traffic. And I was madder than spit. And I powered down the window and started yelling at this lady who was the lady in charge of the women of my church. <laughs> Actually, I did. I have done something similar. I was behind somebody coming home from church and they just like stopped in the middle of the highway. It was like a 55 mile an hour highway. And she just stopped in the middle of the road. And, and I thought, oh my gosh. So of course, you know, I'm, I like gun it and go around. And, and I didn't know it was somebody from church until Sunday of the next week. She said, my car just cut out. It just stopped. And in the middle of the road, and you just went by. And I was like, oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> humility. Lord. Humility, humility, yeah. humility. Really. So good for us. So do you think these verses fit together? Oh, I do. <laughs> Talk about it. How do these verses fit? Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then your verse about be not angry. Well, for me, they fit together this way. I had desires that I was not capable of receiving because I had such a problem with woundedness and, and anger. God could not bring me to that. And so there was some... There was some sanctification, some healing, some correction, some learning, some discipline. All of that had to occur before God could fulfill the desire that he had given me. And it, for me, it had to do with anger. But as I said, that STOP, yep. that works for whatever our sin problem is. The saints call that a predominant fault. And my predominant fault was rebellion and anger. And until I got that under control with the Lord, he could not bring that desire to pass. And a lot of times we are our own worst enemy. We're standing in the way of the blessings that God wants to give us. He wants to fulfill those desires because he implanted them in us a lot of times, but he can't do it because we have other things in the way 
And the book of wisdom says that we are punished in the very thing through which we sin. So in my case, I was learning that humility through my sin, which that predominant fault for me was rage and anger. And until we got that under control, he and I, he could not bring me the desire of my heart. So those two things go together perfectly for me. I don't know about you. They do. And if you will, we look at Psalm 37, 4, for example, an Old Testament verse, it's in the Psalms, so the Psalms seem to always have a New Testament quality to them, but but yet in the Old Testament, a faithful man or woman delighting in the Lord yet would have understand this in their obedience, right? Uh, in their sacrifice, in their... Um, you know, following the ways of the Lord. But the uniqueness of now with Christ is in his incarnation. Our delight in God is very intimate, and our delighting in God means being like him, imitating him, being like Jesus. So delighting, taking delight in the Lord means becoming like him in every way. And we recognize, you know, that our Lord, yes, did get angry. He was angry in the temple when it was misused. He was angry at the Pharisees when their actions didn't match their words. He was angry for them putting burdens on people that they they were hypocrites. So there's a time for anger. Um, In fact, Paul says later that we, uh, you know, that we are to be critical of our brothers and sisters in the body who are misrepresenting our Lord. We're called to do that with love, speaking the truth in love. But this idea of of, um, recognizing that, and I can't speak for anyone else but myself, that often for me when I'm angry, it's because at the core is self-centeredness. Yes, pride. It's about me. It's about pride. Why am I being angry? When I give myself time, uh, to think about what's going on, I can almost recognize that there's a sin there, which is the sin of pride, and the sin is me. And so my delight has been twisted by what's happened. And so if if I can see my Lord in the mind, my mind's eye, and kind of like, I think it was the uh, sales or, or those who talked about envisioning Jesus sitting in a chair next to you, you know, that if I can see myself through his mind's eye, it helps put me in perspective. It does take a while for me to get there when I'm caught up in anger or something like that, so that my delight returns to where it's supposed to be, not in me, in him. Yeah, he told me, he told me once, I will think of everything. You think only of loving me. And when your focus is off of your anger and on him, you know, no, no one is less delighted than someone who's angry. (laughs) But when your focus is back on him, it returns, like you said, yes, it's all about focus. Sonia, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell the audience a little more if they wanted to connect more with you and what you're doing, where should they go? Uh, BibleStudyEvangelista.com is the best place, or you can just Google my name, Sonia Corbett, and I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, but um, I'm always available. All right. Sonia, thank you so much. Hope to have you back sometime on Thank this you, program. Marcus. I enjoyed it very much. What a great pleasure. 
And all of you, thank you for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. I hope it's an encouragement to you to open your scriptures, uh, to focus on our Lord, uh, to put your anger in his hands. And as Sonia just said, to take our focus away from ourselves and on Jesus. So thank you for joining us today. God bless you. Be with you again next week. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.